My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Thanks for joining us for another show. This week, we're going to be considering the question, how do you make an IoT business successful? How do you get from a good idea to real scale? And we're going to be doing it with Brian Merkling, who is the CEO and co-founder of Thin Air. And uh, this is a uh, auto ID company that I've been uh, observing for a number of years and have actually been working with uh, at Williot directly. So part of what Brian's going to be talking about is his experience using the battery-free Bluetooth tags that we sell, We're trying to keep it educational, not turn it into an advert. So we'll also be talking about the limits of that technology. But I think Brian's case is interesting because very few companies are deploying millions of tags in a single project. And Thin Air are. So we'll be learning a bit about that use case. And as always, the second part of the show will be a bit more personal. We'll be talking about Brian's progression uh, with his company, some of the things that he did before Thin Air, uh, his route to becoming CEO of a successful IoT company, as well as his taste in music. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot, intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Steve. So it feels like this is overdue. We have known each other for, I think, going on six years, first as a consultant, as I finished the, the Beacon Technologies book and was uh, analyzing the players and what you had was super interesting. It has evolved since then. So um, now we're working together. I'm at, uh, at Williot and uh, your company is really thriving. So in the session today, I'd like to learn uh, uh, with the audience about what Thin Air does, but I'm also very interested in your perspective on the asset tracking and IoT market. And um, I'd love to hear the latest news. Uh, it seems like you're really starting to break through this market has struggled with that and it struggled to achieve scale and you're really starting to achieve scale. So I think we can all learn a bit from uh, what you've done. So how, how does that sound as an agenda? That sounds fantastic, Steve. It's, it is certainly is long overdue, but I'm thrilled that we're here and thrilled to, to have this chance to connect today. Terrific. So what does Thin Air do? Thin Air is a, is a company that synthesizes at scale, you mentioned at scale earlier, but we synthesize at scale uh, digital feedback from machines, um, digital feedback from humans. So we capture human feedback and then we package all of that up and turn it into AI-backed uh, insights and offer it all up as an easy to consume service. Wonderful. And 
what how do you tether the the digital and physical worlds together what's the uh, what's the, the the hardware the auto id technology that you use yeah good question so if you think about it if you were a manufacturer or in uh, dod or cpg uh, or, or any industry where you're creating a good uh, from from raw materials um, if you had unlimited funds and you were starting your company today, you would buy digitally connected, smart connected uh, machines for your manufacturing line. You would ensure that you had devices on all of your assets so that you could track them at all times and your environments were smart. And you would be sure that your people had tools that allowed them to provide feedback that could be merged in and synthesized with all of this machine-generated data. Um, well, what ThinAir does is we make that possible for companies today with the machines you have, with the employees you have today. And we do that by using sensors from around the world. Uh, so the industry is certainly, um, is certainly starting to understand what IoT at scale means. And there are manufacturers all over the world now creating sensors at a, a really affordable price point so that you can scale them from a price standpoint, but they have better battery life, they have more intelligence, and, and all of these things uh, have led to our ability to kind of cross that, that hump that you talked about earlier, the, the issues people were having uh, getting to scale. They've allowed us with our platform to help our customers do all of this at scale with machines they already own, with people they already employ. And that's important. Um, the, the money you would have spent uh, replacing machines, um, trying to invent tools from scratch, you can save so much money just consuming all of this as a service and just buying affordable sensors either through us or on your own uh, that can feed our platform. So what we, what I've kind of seen happen in the industry is everybody's starting to think at scale. We happen to be one of the four out in the forefront um, with a platform that allows us to pick and choose the right companies that have figured out scale and bring it all together into that one solution that makes sense uh, for the customer at the right price point. We've teased a lot of very interesting topics there. I want to get more into the hardware technology. I want to get into the, the cloud AI technology. I want to get into the use cases that are driving the value. And I'd love to get a kind of a measure of what you think of as scale. Let's, let's get to the business side of it, because unless there's an ROI, then this doesn't mean anything. Um, what, What's the sweet spot that you're seeing? What's you, you've been working at this for a while? Um, um, what what did you think uh, was going to be the sweet spot, and what, what's it actually turned out to be? Is it one and the same? Were you uh, uh, were you able to see into the future perfectly, or were there any surprises <laughs> there? Um, we saw into the future semi perfectly. Um, okay. We, we knew, along with everybody, that asset tracking would be uh, kind of the sharp end of the spear for IoT. It's been around for a long time. There have been different technologies, including RFID, that just didn't scale, right? Um, people tried so hard to make it work. Um, the, the, the cost of the readers, the fact that um, the big tech companies that, that really have draw, driven affordability uh, of technology into the world, like Apple, like Google, um, you know, uh, Samsung, uh, none of those providers helped drive RFID to new levels of capabilities and, and to new low levels of, of price points. But BLE, they did. And so we, we were smart enough to, um, we are, we are absolutely um, agnostic to the technologies, but we're tuned to BLE. 
Um, mm -hmm. we, we and we did recognize that when you and I met six years ago, we had already decided that BLE was the future. That's what we would tune to. Uh, we would cert we certainly use other communication protocols, but uh, BLE is what we're tuned to. So we saw that one. We saw asset tracking as important, and it is. Um, it's the easiest way to help somebody understand how an IoT journey could um, could begin and how we could take them on to this next step of, of uh, sophistication is probably the best way, way to say it. I would say what we learned along the way is the levels of sophistication that you can reach with all of these different sensors from around the world. And I would say the sweet spot has shifted slightly from asset tracking uh, to the ability to have a sophisticated view of your of, of your operations. And so what we've seen become the sweet spot is the ability to do asset tracking alongside of temperature, humidity, vibration sensing. Um, and there's lots of things you can do with vibration sensing. And then from the backside of that, pulling in human feedback as well. Um, when I say the sweet spot has shifted, that's because if you take um, if you take the data from all of those different sources, all of those different sensors, you combine it with human feedback. What we learned and what we've proven to our customers is you can reach, um, you can build smarter um, models, um, you can teach them faster, and you can just build better business insights um, if you understand that the sweet spot has shifted from only asset tracking. And so we learned that along the way. We were heavily focused on asset tracking in the beginning. I would say we lead as much today with what we call HUMS kits, health utilization and monitoring systems, as we do with, with asset tracking today. So I really love that vision that you uh, pointed to, which is becoming a reality, which is connecting everything, uh, people, uh, tools, Absolutely. Um, raw materials, work in progress, finished goods, it's all connected. And, um, uh, but with intelligence, so sensing. So that's kind of, those are the functions that I think for those of us that are passionate about it, we see, well, why wouldn't you have this tremendous advantage if you can exercise the power of the cloud on absolutely everything absolutely. Uh, and have visibility and omniscience? But what are the business problems that that is actually solving? What are the pain points that you look for or have discovered that that technical capability enables you to solve? Well, there are, there are a wide range of them, and we'll be publishing a lot of material over the next couple of months on all of the use cases that we've proven out with our customers. But some of them that always bubble at the top, asset tracking is still there. Um, so reducing shrinkage, uh, reducing the time that it takes for uh, employees to find the things they need, uh, to find the raw materials, to find the tools. Um, we've, we've, we've seen a huge ROI um, in reducing the people costs around just those things. If in highly regulated industries, especially where governments are involved, um, you can remove a tremendous amount of costs and risk um, to contracts if you can produce work in progress faster than you could in the past, if you can reduce the amount of, of items that are simply lost um, within the supply chain. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've actually helped in situations where as much as, um, I think, 45 to $60 million in goods are lost every year. Now they recover 40 million of those goods through a lot of human um, uh, interaction and a lot of uh, a lot of human work uh, to go find those things, but that costs you money as well, and you're still replacing 15 to 20 million dollars of those lost parts and raw materials, and you're paying the same suppliers in your supply chain uh, to resupply those those materials. So huge ROIs in being able, and this is what's important, um, asset tracking before this point in this journey, asset tracking before now was you had to pick and choose 
your most expensive things, your most the highest value things, where now, like you mentioned earlier, we've reached a point where you can actually tag and track everything. So now we've gone from tagging a, th a few thousand things to tagging millions of things. And the amount of rework, the amount of shrinkage, the amount of loss, the amount of slight supply chain reuse um, that you can remove from that is tremendous. We've we have a customer that um, their 32 month ROI with thin air um, exceeds 30 million dollars. And in the past, you've talked about the fact that um, there's some of your customers have major backlogs. Their, their problem isn't acquiring new order books. It's getting through what they have. And if they know where everything is, they can basically burn through that backlog faster, which is so just faster execution, um, faster inventory turns. Uh, all of yeah, that and, uh, seems like it's... And let me add something to that. That's where this new world that we're in, um, this new phase of IoT, where it's not just asset tracking. So in a world where your biggest problem is a huge, you know, a tremendous backlog, if you know where everything is and you can remove the time required for all of the rework and all of the things we just spoke about, um, that's one thing. If you can also... Um, understand when the machines uh, on the manufacturing line are in an anomaly state. Um, and you can use predictive analytics to figure out when some, when a machine's going to fail and get out in front of that. Now you're not stopping the lines and everything downstream. Uh, so the, the, the fact that you can combine asset tracking with with health and monitoring of, of your machines today, and then even capture feedback from people about think issues they're seeing with the process. That's how you really start to burn down a backlog. And any other examples where sensing is uh, useful? So uh, condition monitoring for machinery, I get that, that makes sense. Anything else? Well, we have customers that do really important things. We have customers that build um, Everything from food uh, for you know consumption by humans to things that are bound for outer space, um, you know war materials. So they build things that are really really important. Quality is important. Quality cannot be um, sacrificed for any purpose, especially trying to go faster with your processes. So the fact mm -hmm. that the processes are operating faster with our technology means we also have to put safeguards in place uh, from a quality standpoint. So we're using sensing in at one customer. Um, they build something that's 80 feet long, that's part of an aircraft. Um, if the width of it changes more than the width of a piece of paper, you've got a quality issue. So we have sensors from air on there from everything from temperature to humidity to vibration to help understand when that machine goes into an anomaly state. Interesting. So we've started to address the why would I do this? Let's go back to the how I do it and the, the toolbox that you have for tagging things. And I, I've always believed that there's no perfect way of doing this. It's the right tool for the right job. What are the tools that you have in your kit bag? What's your approach? How do you know what to use where? And what are, what are the options that you're favoring? What are your favorite tools for tagging? Well, so the, the platform that we've built is key for that. So the platform is intelligent enough to um, kind of drive the use cases. And from the use cases, the toolkit gets laid out in, in front of our customers. And the toolkit includes the sensors that are needed for that specific use case. And then they can be adjusted based on uh, requirements for battery life, um, budget available, um, and then the processes that you use to um, adhere this, the stickers or the tags to the various raw materials or assets. Um, so um, the use case kind of defines the toolkit that you're going to use. Our, probably my favorite right now um, is the new mobile app um, that is fully integrated with our platform. It is actually the culmination of three years of work with uh, a, a few Fortune 100 companies 
and how they operate and how they utilize IoT on a daily basis. Uh, so we've done everything from a two-scan process to um, associate sensors with an asset and two scans, whether it's a barcode and the QR code on our on our beacon or our sticker, um, and it's associated. So we've we've drastically removed um, the the requirements the time requirements for attaching and associating devices. We've worked really hard to um, remove uh, a lot of the roadblocks for disassociating and reusing some of these sensors. That's all built into our platform now and built into our new mobile mobile app. Um, but I'd say the real game changer for us in 2020, as we kind of get to the end of 2021 and 2022, is we, we are starting to use the term everything um, a lot now. And so um, I, I know this might sound like we're uh, I'm promoting something, but I'm not. It's simply what we see. And, and the, the Williot sticker um, takes us from tagging a few thousand things or 100,000, 200,000 things to tagging millions of things. So for a company that depends on data, data from millions of things is so much more value, valuable than data from thousands of things. That's That's a very important part of our new toolkit. And that's... Uh, a cost thing, uh, primarily. Uh, the lower co lower cost allows you to just uh, go from uh, um, tagging expensive things to lower cost things. Is that how you're getting to the volumes? That was why we. Uh, that's why we actually approached Williot to begin with. Was the cost because mm -hmm. um, it's a substantial cost difference in a battery powered active beacon down to a passive sticker, but because of the industries we're in. Um, classified areas are an important part of what we do. We've invented some special gateways, or my team has invented some special gateways that will um, flag you if uh, something with any type of a signal enters a classified area. The mm -hmm. ability for a passive sticker to uh, disperse its power and turn itself off inside of a classified area is absolutely valuable to what we do. Now we can track all of the raw materials in the areas where it's allowed. And we actually use, um, we use algorithms and AI to decide if it's made its way into a classified area. Um, and it provides a tremendous amount of valuable data to our customers. Why, why would you need AI to do that? Well, there's a difference in how the stickers interact with our algorithms and interact with our infrastructure our infrastructure was tuned to uh, battery-powered active beacons that can broadcast up to a thousand feet and that can broadcast three times a second. So mm -hmm. the way a passive sticker, uh, the range a passive sticker has, the way that you have to energize it, the range in which it broadcasts, it required mm -hmm. a, a, sub a substantial amount of changes to our algorithms, but um, we've already done the work. And it's it's highly valuable now. The other reason the AI is is required is um, because you can have no signal inside a classified area. You need to be really sure when in that area. It could have gone down a hallway with ten or eleven doors, and did it go into an area that's not energized, or did it make its way into a classified area? We built models that that learn and, and have figured out how to tell you exactly where something is, regardless of the, of the ability to have it energized at this moment in time. That's really interesting because I think, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people the difference between uh, this Williot IoT Pixel technology, these Bluetooth um, stickers, passive stickers, some people would say, uh, and RFID, and I think you kind of put your finger on something that you're doing to accommodate that, which is the continuous nature of and, and the coverage. Uh, so, um, and I, I firmly believe that RFID has got a place and it's going to continue to grow and thrive, but it is kind of a, a point in time. It's a snapshot, whereas I think what you're describing is a continuous view of, okay, 
This is, uh, this is radio technology. So I'm probably not going to see it 100% of the time everywhere. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to have this continuous view and sightings. And it sounds like what you're talking about is the ability to amass those sightings and make sense of them in a way that maybe you couldn't do if you had someone running around with an RFID reading gun or some $10,000 tunnel that uh, that only you know occasionally got used. You're kind of doing the the continuous uh, view and then making sense of all of those signals. Is am I? I don't want to put words into your mouth, but is am I heading in the right direction there? You are. Um, we it would be a whole new podcast for us to um, to have the discussion around whether RFID will survive or not. I, you know, thin air. We think RFID is done, um, especially with the introduction of the BLE, you know, Williet BLE sticker. Um, the infrastructure required for RFID just doesn't have the ROI backing for it. Um, it's, it's costly infrastructure. It's limited in what it can do. BLE infrastructure can do so many more things. There are so many more BLE sensors coming to market every day that if that's the infrastructure you've rolled out and there's a, the ability to get the low-cost BLE sticker, um, we just don't see a future for RFID. But but back to your comment, yeah, we've used AI. We've we've created, I think, a, a nice hybrid model that says there are areas that you'll care about where these stickers are at, at all times. We've found a way to energize those areas. There are areas that you'll you'll want to know as many times as possible in a 24-hour period if you can see it or not. Um, so what we've done is we've created this approach where we may flood some areas with energy. Um, other areas will use a robot uh, or a forklift to disperse energy occasionally and then let our mesh um, gateways pick up the signals at those times and do locationing at those times. And we've created, I think, a, a model that's that's very, very valuable for the customers that has absolutely allowed us to start tagging everything instead of some things. And explain a bit more about this energy. I mean, obviously, I live and breathe with you every day, so it makes sense to me, but other people may not know what you're referring to, uh, your dispersing energy. What kind of energy is that? Yeah, so... There are two ways um, you can disperse energy for the stickers. Um, let let me back up and talk about an active Bluetooth beacon has its own battery, has its own energy. It's constantly broadcasting up to a thousand feet of its BLE uh, five. Um, with the sticker, there's no battery on it, so you have to provide the energy from the air around the sticker. Um, and what we really like is the new option to have either LoRa, long range, in, long range in energy, or the BLE energy. Um, so BLE energy, the beauty of it is it's the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum that everything that you can buy off the shelf at Best Buy and and other and Amazon all run in that spectrum. So as long as you've got a Wi-Fi extender or something that can disperse 2.4 gigahertz energy and it gets into close range of these stickers, it will wake them up and allow them to broadcast. And so my team, um, we've got a tremendous team, Taylor, Paul, Bryce, um, you know, we've got a tremendously intelligent group of guys who are uniquely qualified um, for what we're doing. And they have found this great hybrid model uh, for how and where you disperse energy using basically off-the-shelf products, which is an amazing thing for customers. So, you know, think about, do I want a $1,200 to $1,500 RFID reader, or do I want something I can buy for $49 from Amazon that mm -hmm. provides the energy to wake up these stickers? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And when the, the, the idea of robots walking around, energizing and reading uh, or mobile is interesting, uh, can you flesh that out a, a little bit more? When would you use a stationary bridge or gateway, or a reader, and when would you use something that's, that's actually moving around? That's a good question. Um, so there are two ways we use robots. Um, the, the first way, the most um, prominent way we do this is we will have our gateways spread out in a mesh um, setup across a warehouse or across a factory. Um, so they work together, sweeping the air three times a second for signals. They're constantly doing that seven by 24, 365. Um, so anytime a signal arises, they'll see it, they'll work together to trilaterate it. Um, they'll, they'll investigate the packet of information that comes from it, put it into our platform, and that's where all the magic happens. So what happens with a robot or a forklift is in this situation, they're only running around dispersing energy. So we've got a, a Wi-Fi extender or some type of a capability to disperse 2.4 gigahertz or LoRa energy as it goes up and down the, the warehouse. So mm -hmm. in the warehouse example, if you think about an aisle in a warehouse and three stories of shelving, everything on those shelves has stickers on them. They're all asleep most of the time. There's a little bit of energy from our gateways that, that the stickers are, are, are utilizing, but it's not enough to fully wake them up. As the robot makes its way down that aisle, though, it disperses the energy, wakes them up, the gateways locate them, pull information from the packets, and, and it continues to do that up and down the aisles. So with a robot, um, think about a customer. We've got a customer that can do cycle counting about once a year for everything, once a quarter for important things. Uh, they made the comment, using the robot, using the stickers, using our gateway infrastructure is 365 times better than what they had before because the robot can wake everything up every night and our gateways are sitting there waiting for them to wake up to read the energy from them and trilaterate and tell you exactly where they are on a map. That's the first example. The second example is an area where you don't have our infrastructure. We'll put a gateway on the robot um, and most of the time, the robot has internal GPS coordinates that we can read from. And so as it makes its way up and down an aisle, um, it will not only use energy to wake up the stickers, but it will use its indoor GPS readings, if you will, um, to report back on locationing. That's not as quite as accurate, but for a lot of customers, for a lot of use cases, knowing it's in this part of this room in this warehouse is far better than they ever had before. And um, I don't want to give the impression that this is a massive advert for Williot. So help uh, help us understand where you wouldn't use Williot and where you'd use a traditional Bluetooth beacon. What's the uh, what's the trade off there? So in an area where it's important to get more information more often, um, like vibration. So um, we have customers that have hundreds of millions of dollars budgeted for new machines. Um, so we help them with capacity analytics. We put a vibration sensor on all of their machines and we help them understand when they're on and when they're off. That's simple com capacity analytics that we run for them. Um, but we'll get more sophisticated and get into predictive analytics with vibration sensors that can read 50,000 times per second. Um, that's where you're going to have to have not only a battery-powered beacon, but 50,000 reads per second. We're actually using wired uh, sensors uh, to, to mm -hmm. capture at that pace. 
Um, we, we do readings down to minus 40 degrees Celsius. We use active beacons uh, to do that. Um, we have beacons that will leave an area, leave an area with infrastructure and then enter another area with infrastructure. They need to retain information for that 24 to 48 hour period and then dump their data when they make it to another part, another location with our infrastructure. We'll use active beacons for, for that type of situation as well. So another tool in the toolbox. Um, you uh, mentioned scale. Sounds like you're achieving new levels of scale. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're pretty excited. We're working with Gartner and some other analysts right now to validate, but uh, we're told we have the largest, we're on our way to the largest IoT installation in the world. Um, we have hundreds of thousands of sensors being deployed. In fact, um, we're pretty excited. We've got four full-time people on site at a customer just deploying gateways and, and beacons every day. And that looks like it will it will go in um, all the way through 2022. Um, so when we talk about at scale, we're talking about millions of data points every second, hundreds of thousands of sensors today. And, you know, I talked earlier about the new piece that we're excited about in our toolkit. We'll go from hundreds of thousands of things to millions of things now because we're introducing the, the Willy at stickers into that same environment. So our infrastructure is already there. Uh, we do have to add energizers in key areas, uh, but the infrastructure is already there. They're already integrated into our platform. And um, we're pretty excited this next Monday, we start deploying uh, those stickers. And so we'll go, when we're talking scale, we're, we've been talking hundreds of thousands of things. We'll be talking millions of things now. And, and so we, we believe not only do we have the world's largest IoT uh, deployment, but we're about to put a, a lot of distance between us and the next next level down. That's really awesome, and uh, um, you know, getting us towards connecting uh, absolutely everything. Um, very good. So, uh, taking a step back and looking at IoT, um, any uh, final comments on where the industry is now versus where it was, and where you think it's going to go? What, what, what are the trends that you see in uh, IoT? So I believe we've crossed the chasm. Um, I also believe we crossed the chasm and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the people who crossed the chasm crashed and burned in their projects. And, and you read a lot about that in IoT. It's a real black eye in the industry. Um, so I think we're crossed the chasm. I think people have figured out it can be really important to their business but I think they're going to be very careful who they partner with in the future. Um, you know, there are a lot of companies, a lot of IoT companies that have been left by the wayside. Um, companies that were really important uh, 24 to 36 months ago don't even exist today um, because I think they had the wrong focus. And, and the focus is absolutely, you know, thrill the customer, drive the ROI, simplify the use cases for the customer. And I think that's the future of it. I also think the future of IoT is um, AI-backed insights um, that include human feedback. Um, so I think we jumped so fast to machine-generated data that we forgot that there are people involved in running those machines. There are people involved in, in putting those raw materials or turning those raw materials into work in progress and finished product. And, and we, need to, we need to circle back and, and gather the important information from those people. If you're gathering that level of data from machines and people, the AI-backed insights are absolutely critical because if you're, like I mentioned earlier, capturing a million data points every second, um, you could... You could pollute a data farm in a hurry. Um, we've got some great T-shirts that we're about to start uh, giving to our employees that said, save the data farms. Um, you know, let's not pollute the data farms. Let's make sure that we, we populate the data farms with business insights that have meaning, that drive ROI. I think that's the future. I think the people that figure that out, that drive towards that, they'll be the people that will be standing you know, beside us, competing with us in the future. Yeah, I think 
many of us are fond of that Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm uh, model, and it's sort of implied, but not always stated, which is, yeah, you're going to have hundreds of people starting that journey, and most of them probably aren't going to make it. Uh, Absolutely. uh, So there's a lot of, uh, uh, I think uh, there's a tendency to look at that as being failure, but it's really part of creative destruction, isn't it? And you end up having a a Darwinistic thing. And uh, uh, once people figure out who's going to make it, then then maybe some of these more conservative uh, customers start to uh, move forward and they look at some of the the progress that's been made in in that journey, um, I, this may be a, a bit of an unexpected twist, but I'm interested in any observations you have about the human factors. We've been focusing on the technology here. What does it take to deploy this? Um, way back when, when I was working on the Beacon Technologies book, one of my favorite chapters actually was when I started interviewing people that were deploying the technology and and you realized at the end of the day, you, you got to get the cooperation of the human beings on your customer's site. Yeah. And anything that you've learned, I, I know that you do a lot of work in the defense sector, so maybe it's all very disciplined and people just do what they're told to do. But any anything that you want to pass on about what you've learned about dealing with the, the human beings uh, that are on the receiving end of this technology? Yeah, where we were uniquely positioned to understand the human impact because of our, our human feedback technology. So if anybody was going to get it uh, quickly, it was us. Um, but we learned a lot over the last uh, 24 months, especially as our customers have been working to deploy at scale. And the first thing that that we learned that um, I would I would make sure people understand is you could sell 100,000 beacons and, and thousands of gateways, and the customer could have all of the, all of the, uh, all of the plans in the world laid out to go deploy them. When they go back to work, they're going to get busy, and they're going to get busy with lots of initiatives. And this one gets put with lots of different initiatives. Uh, so what we learned is be very careful up front to help them understand how to put how to put the the tagging of things with stickers and with uh, beacons how to build that into their everyday business processes the people at the receiving docks are the ones that should be putting the stickers and the tags on make sure you've created the technology to make that simple and easy for them Um, the other thing we learned is anything you can do as the technology provider to take that on your own shoulders, the better. Mm-hmm. And so we we just, this was a an amazing setup. You didn't even know you were doing this, but we just launched thin air deployment services. All you have to do now is point at a group of buildings that you want thin air enabled, and we take care of everything, running the cable, mm-hmm. putting the gateways in, attaching the beacons so that you get to the ROI faster than you would have before. So I would say two things. Make sure you've carefully thought through the business processes and mm-hmm. how to how to make sure they understand um, how to apply the technology themselves, but be absolutely willing to take on the deployment yourself from beginning to end. So, Brian, did you get a chance to think about three songs that have some meaning to you? Yeah, well, I can certainly um, – I have more than three, but um, – All right. I'm a, Very good. I'm a music – I'm a music uh, snob, and and, and all right, I, I, I listen to music a lot. I've got a, in fact, my my wake boat has ten speakers and two subwoofers on the tower, ten speakers inside the boat, and an indoor subwoofer in the hull. So we oh are my all, goodness, that all about formidable. music. <laughs> so <laughs> where are the subwoofers on the deck? I mean, you. So I've I got two. Normally, on people the, have one. I've got two on the tower. They're built into special speakers that can be outdoors and in the, you know, in water. And then I've got one down in the hull that's an indoor subwoofer with the, the just to run everything on my wake boat takes eight car batteries. So we are all about music. I've got plenty of songs and can certainly 
tell and I imagine that the hull is like a speaker in itself it's like generating uh, some yeah my uh, serious waves my sound system on my boat sounds better than my stereo in my house. It's it's a, it's a it's a nice way to listen to music. I'll, I'll put it that way. But let me let me talk three songs. Number one is um, "Endless Love," Diana Ross, Lionel Richie. That was sung at my wedding with my best friend thirty eight years ago. So that's always been an important song to us. Um, from there, I've got to jump to, I'm a huge fan of songs that tell stories. So I love mm-hmm. Billy Joel's Piano Man. I think oh, the, yeah. the, the storytelling inside that song is amazing. Um, so good. And then since I'm choosing different categories, I'll choose, I think, one of the best instrumentals of all time. That's Hotel California um, by the Eagles. Well, I love your choices. That's uh, it's amazing. <clears throat> yeah. So, do you have any memories associated with listening to that song, "Hotel California"? What does it conjure up for you in well, terms of "Hotel your California"? Life was a, it was a great high school song, but it's it's a fan favorite on the boat at yeah. very high decibel rate, yeah. you know, levels. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of good memories with with Hotel California. Uh, Billy Joel, um, we actually were such a fan. We flew to England to watch Billy Joel at Wembley Stadium outdoors uh, a few years ago. So Piano Man, open air, 62 degrees at Wembley Stadium. It's hard to beat. That's awesome. So um, how did you get to where you are today? Um, how You're the CEO of a successful company. Uh, high-tech company. Uh, I think a lot of people would like that job. Um, what's your What's your advice to them? Well, you know, my journey, uh, my journey started as a programmer um, and solution architect for Fujitsu. Um, so I, my recommendation to people is you want to learn as much as you can along the way. And you want to you want your horizons to be as wide as possible along the way. So I was a I started as a programmer, became a solutions architect, but I raised my hand to move into pre-sales and pre-sales support so that I could start to get into sales. And then from there I ramped over to sales, eventually moved into operations. Um, I, I tried to make sure I had every aspect of running a technology company, at least my hands in parts of every aspect of a tech company before I ever tried to set out on my own. And mm-hmm. once I felt like I was in a, in a position to do that, um, you surround yourself with really good people. I did that at a company called Webify where I had, um, I was a chief operating officer and one of the founders, but had an amazing visionary uh, as the CEO, Manoj Saxena. Um, we built a, a terrific tech company, um, kind of at the forefront of service-oriented architecture. We put a platform there. Um, you know, I, I I think that was probably where I learned the most. You know, so I had this great background, but in a position where you're on your own and it's all up to you and a couple of smart people, that's where you learn the most about what works and what doesn't and. Uh, we had the, you know, we had the opportunity to turn Webify into a 160-person company acquired by IBM, 30 months from start to acquisition. Uh, so it all went fast. And when things go that fast, you have to learn on the on the fly, and and you come up with a pretty good recipe for what works. And so the next set of uh, of advice I would give is once you know what works. You want to make sure you stay with that as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Technology, especially leading edge, it's always changing. And you, you have to continually reinvent how you're doing things. But there's got to be that core recipe that you know works. And I've used that in every one of my companies, including Thin Air. And we're we're in a good position at Thin Air. We're, we're probably three-fourths of the way that I would consider along this journey. Um, and we're getting to the back half of the journey, which is a lot more fun. You've got referenceable customers. You've got revenue, you're growing revenue. You've got interest 
from around the world. And this is, this is the fun part. So the last piece of advice I would give in that journey is you got to get through that first part, right? It's, it's hard. You got to get through that first part. You got to, you have to build some technology that separates you from everybody else. And you have to, this is an absolute requirement. You have to thrill the customers. And once you do that, you can start to move into some interesting areas, which is where we are today. And so how did Webify exit so quickly? Because 30 months is pretty amazing. I mean, even in the technology business. Yeah, we did. And, and this is why I'm excited about Thin Air. We put a platform in place um, out in front of a tidal wave. So we were smart enough to do our research you know, work with some analysts. We worked with Gartner um, back at Webify. We saw the the tidal wave that would become service-oriented architecture. We got out in front of it and we put a, a, a platform that could, could be consumed as a service that could take a lot of costs out of people's journey, you know, service-oriented architecture journey. Uh, we did the same exact thing at, at Thin Air. We we saw that IoT was going to be huge. When you see a tidal wave of that magnitude, you know there's going to be a lot of players. There's going to be a lot of players that are in it for the wrong reasons, that take people down the wrong journey. So there's going to be a lot of war, you know, war wounds and a lot of horror stories. Um, so we did the same thing. We put a platform in place that made IoT easy and consumable as a service, and we put it in we put it in in place out in front of this tidal wave that 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 is IoT and that's so that's the part of the of the recipe I don't change we we find the tidal wave we get in front of it with a secure platform very good well Brian it's been fascinating thanks so much for sharing what you've learned and I wish you continued success same to you Steve it's always a pleasure thank you well if you have been Thanks very much for listening. I thought it was an interesting conversation. We learned a bit about use cases, about Brian's formula for success in IoT. And we also learned how many sub-base woofers you need to get really good audio on your yacht. If you've enjoyed this, please tell your friends, tell us, rate, review us, share on social media. And until next time, I'll wish you farewell and appreciate your support. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.